Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears, and my colleague, co-host, Carla Lindarte. Hello everyone, I'm Carla, nice to meet you all. Um, Carla, I work as Associate Creative Director for Experience Design, that sounds really long, uh, but basically I just lead a lot of like UX projects in an agency called Sapien Racerfish. I've been working in UX for about 10 years, so... I got a lot of experience in different sides of it. What about you, Chris? Who are you? That's a very existential question, but I am also a UX designer, service designer, whatever you want to brand me as. Um, so again, working in UX around it for about 10 years or so, various different public and private sector clients. Um, yeah, so that's us. And I guess we'll start by... I think this first episode is just really going to be framing why we're doing this, what we think the issue that needs resolving is, and then following episodes will be covering certain topics. So I think the main angle and the main thing we're seeing, so we get a lot of questions from some of our new UX mentees on our mentorship program, which we run. Um, and they're along the lines of kind of what's the difference between a user flow and a user journey, stuff like that, which are valid questions. But I think the problem is the mindset is not the right one. And actually, they're all just different tools you can use to get a particular answer that you want. And a lot of these courses, they're kind of pumping out graduates with a sort of an ideal UX process. So, you know, do some research, do some personas, do some wireframes prototype whatever it is and actually in the real world that's never going to happen more or less 100% of the time I would say so I think it's about helping people learn to understand what tools UXs have available how to apply them when to apply them and actually understand what they're good for and how they help you get closer to understanding your users yeah exactly so I think that's what this podcast is called Untangled because we want to you know episode by episode try to define and dismitify all this jargon that goes um, you know across user experience or design as a whole um, so as Chris was saying it's not just about how deliverables we always um and i have to say that in re the real world people are also obsessed with deliverables like in my experience people just want personas because they think they always need to have personas or oh is that user flow oh we need to have a user flow oh is that user journey so it's not about that it's about the question that we're trying to answer and the best design tool that we have to communicate the answer to that question that is the, 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 that's the problem that we're trying to solve as UX designers. Um, so yeah, so today we're just going to introduce what, what we do um, and um, we would like to get everyone to also feedback to us and let us know what you want us to talk about. But today we're just going to start with the basic um, terminology that I think we all question ourselves, you know, what, what is a user flow? What is a user journey? And um, yeah, so what do you think is the differences between those two? Or do you think that actually matters? I don't think it matters. I think people use those terms interchangeably a lot, which is probably not particularly helpful. Um, I would use a user journey kind of as a more conceptual thing, understanding how people move through, you know, not necessarily just online, but 
you know, it could be offline interactions and touch points they have with you. Whereas a user flow, I'd probably use that to describe how they move through a bunch of typically sort of screens that you might have designed. Yeah, I think a user flow is more like a task, one task at a time. So if you think about, I don't know, um, getting an Uber, um, you think about the task flow as being the action of booking the Uber. So just, um, you know, getting this is where my location is, where this is where I'm going. That's kind of like a, a user flow, a task flow. Whereas the user journey is more like, okay, so what's the process I follow to download the app, find what's Uber, then download the app, then register, then book a book a book a, a taxi or something. So I think that's that is in my mind the difference between those two. But um, at the end of the day, who cares about what we call them, right? It's all about what we're trying to communicate. So as you said, if you're more in the conceptual stage. Um, and you want to look at, at the journey end to end, you just need to map that out. And whether you call it your user journey, or I also um, heard people call it scenarios as well, or customer journeys, which are pretty much the same thing. It's just the way you communicate it. Sometimes people use um, sketches to kind of show the particular context of the user interacting with certain touch point, or sometimes they use a story, so they just tell the story and then they use a screen to visualize what the touchpoint is actually doing. Um, but it doesn't really matter. It's about what you're trying to communicate um, and you know deliver that message to your audience, whoever that is, if it's a client or even the, the actual users as well. So just so we're not tangling people up on our first episode, <laughs> is it worth describing what a touchpoint is? Yeah, touchpoint. Wow, that's good so sorry about the jargon a touchpoint is just basically uh, a user interaction isn't it what do you what do you define how do you define a touchpoint is a touchpoint could be an app uh, kind of a an interface with an app a touchpoint could be the branch in as well let's say if you're talking to someone in a branch a touchpoint could be a tablet um, you know a kiosk kind of tablet um, that is in a store or you know, I think a touchpoint is, is every time a customer interacts with a particular brand digitally. Is that how you would define it? Pretty much. I think it's just any interaction they have typically kind of with the brands that you're working for at that time and that helps them kind of get towards their end goal, really. I don't think it's anything more than that. Again, it's another piece of jargony stuff that gets floated around, but... Yeah, it's just whenever whenever the user is doing something that involves the person that you're designing, whatever it is you're designing for. Exactly. So I was, I was like reflecting on the point that you made when we started. It was about students in a course here and there. Uh, I was recently being a mentor for a, um, a masterclass for a kind of a it's like a, a company, like a startup where people go and find jobs and stuff. So they match uh, people within the industry with um, junior um, UX and visual designers looking for a job. So you go and it's a setup of different tables. So there was, um, there was a, a lot of uh, ACDs and creative directors um, from different agencies. And there was also the Google table that obviously had the most expensive. The yeah, table. the Google table yeah. was the only table that had chips uh, and food on the table. 
the rest of us, we didn't need anything during the night, but uh, there you go. That's what happens, but yeah. No plates, it was just on the table. <laughs> yes, it was really funny because <laughs> all, all the uh, people who was... Um, you know, the, the purpose of this event is that um, the people come to you to show their portfolio and you give them feedback on the folio. So it was interesting that everyone wanted to sit in the Google table and no, not many people wanted to sit on the rest of the tables, which is really funny. But um, <clears throat> I met very interesting people that day. Um, and I met a lot, of few, a lot of people who just graduated from a course or a master's degree or something like that. And they were showing me their folio, right? And and obviously, uh, a lot of them don't have any kind of real world experience, right? But then when you look at the folios, even though you're not obviously, you're junior, you don't necessarily need to have any real world experience. The, the case studies that they put together are briefs that they obviously they come up with themselves, which is fine. But then the way they deliver them, they were like, it was like having, seriously, it was like having like a checkbox. Okay, do I have a user flow? Yes or no. Do I have a wireframe? Yes or no. Do I have a style guide? Yes or no. So every case study looked exactly the same. So they just had follow this process, right? And I understand um, processes and frameworks and methodologies exist because there's a way of people you know, to think about a problem. And, and I understand that there's a process that you have to follow, but this is never the same. So some of my f feedback to these people was like, it looks great, but it looks like just a checkbox of things that you put in there. So you think that if I'm looking for someone to come into, you know, my UX team, I need to make sure that in their folio, they have a user flow. It's not about that, isn't it? It's about how they think about a problem, even if they didn't have a visual representation of every single deliverable. What you want to see is how they solve the problem, even if it wasn't a real problem, you know? Yeah, I mean, the first thing they normally ask in any interview is basically the classic tactic is to start putting kind of restrictions and constraints on kind of if you're doing a design exercise, they'll say, or what if you didn't have any time to do some research or what if you couldn't do personas? And I think the risk is that they've been, these students have been kind of so drilled into, you need to do this and then this goes into this and this feeds into this, that it can be a struggle to kind of think outside the box and understand what you really need to do to solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. So it's fine, obviously, because I understand they come from university, they've been told they have to follow a process. However, I would recommend for people who are building their portfolio for the first time to even if you have a non-real world brief, if you just like set up yourself the challenge of redesigning Instagram, for example, um, you just need to like really try to solve the problem rather than just coming up with deliverables, which is, you know, I know that's why you have to kind of show that in your folio. But I think for me, it's... It's about like honesty. It's about showing who you are through the word that you are putting on your folio. Um, and it's about like really thinking about the problem, framing the problem, solving it. And it doesn't matter what you use for it. You don't always need to do personas. Actually, I don't really believe sometimes in the value of personas, but maybe that's another topic for a different that's a whole other episode. Yeah, there's another uh, episode. But um, it's just about, yeah, it's how you, how you think about the problem and how you solve it, the most important thing. You know, you've got a design toolkit at your disposal. 
you might not always have all of the tools available. You've got to understand how to kind of fit those together to get to where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. And it's also about trying out new things. I Every day I try a new thing. Like, for example, now I'm trying a new framework to deliver one of the projects I'm working on. Um, I don't know if you read the book about, um, I think it's, it's, it's called Jobs to be Done. It's a new kind of innovation and customer-centric methodology, which is quite, actually quite simple. It, it removes the, um, you know, the view of, okay, you have to have personas and demo- demographics and different behaviors. It's just about defining what are the jobs um, between functional and emotional jobs that a user is trying to achieve and why they're doing it. So it's not just so much about buying a product, it's about why people buy that particular product and trying to come up with new, um, uh, you know, uh, extra products and services to be able to fulfill the whole picture of the person interacting with it. Um, and I was reading the book and I was like, why don't I try this next time? I mean, I haven't, I haven't done it before, but I'm just going to give it a go. And I think that's something that we need to um, allow ourselves to do. Like uh, things evolve, like personas, for example, or user flows, all of these things. Maybe they were more useful and popular a, year, a few years back, but every day they're new methodologies. And I don't think we should just get obsessed with always changing, but it's always good to give yourself a bit of flexibility of trying new things. What do you think, Chris? I always try to, you know always try a new tool yeah no I, I like doing the same thing exactly every day <laughs> minute by minute I know you do <laughs> that's the kind of guy you are <laughs> no I think that's that's right I mean they're all just methods to understand your users better some work better than others in different scenarios you're not going to know until you try it if you just stick rigidly to you know the eight point plan that you may be used to from your course or whatever it is then you're probably going to struggle a bit when you come up to some maybe resistance from the business or you don't have enough budget or whatever it is so I think thinking outside the box is a key skill yeah yeah that's true I think you have to just try new things and adapt yourself and your approach to whatever is coming up and it doesn't matter if you haven't got the experience I mean you just need to give it a go and try to you know, try to convince yourselves and people around you that you're doing the right thing. And and you're probably doing it. Um, you know, it's just being confident that you, you're just trying to look at uh, what the problem is, how you how you help that user to do what they want to do. You know, it's as simple as that. I know it sounds really simplistic, but it's basically what we need to do. But people just overcomplicated with deliverables and stuff. I remember when I was working in my previous job, it was just like we all sell projects and it was just a, a list of deliverables. Okay, so we have to do user journeys. We have to do personas. We have to do this. We have to do that. And I got to a point that um, talking to the same client, I thought, okay, for the next phase of this project, can we just focus on hypotheses? So what are the hypotheses that we're trying to prove or disprove? Um, so can we just focus on that? And depending on the kind of question that we're trying to answer, let's just, we decide what we're going to use. Are we going to use a prototype or are we going to use a user flow or a site map or whatever? So let's just focus on questions rather than deliverables. And it is a big mind, like mindset shift because 
especially if you work in consultancy on agencies, what people are selling is, is deliverables. Um, so it is, it is hard to change the mentality, but I think it's, um, it's important for us as designers that we understand that you don't always need to go through the list of stuff that they tell you at university. Um, yeah, it's all about, it's all about trying to, to solve the, the, the right problem at the same time, at the right time. Yeah, and also using those tools as a way to get the team to understand the user as well. So there's no point you sort of sitting on your own coming up with these crazy personas and then people don't actually understand how you got to that point. They weren't involved in the research. It's just a thing that you kind of hand over. Nobody cares, essentially. You go home crying, <laughs> maybe play a bit of ukulele like me to make yourself feel oh. better. And it's just no, it's no good for anyone. Um, yeah, don't cry. Never cry for personas. I know they look very ugly. <laughs> you know, you know, don't you end up doing using the same pictures for all the personas that you do? And it's always that smiley yeah, guy. Yeah, just the standard stock images. <laughs> yeah, the the woman laughing, eating salad <laughs> on her iPad. It's always a classic. A typical... I think that might be you, actually. How do you, oh, really? Do you name your personas um, based on your friends? I always do that. Oh, my, my... Yeah, all, all my personas are called oh. It doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are called Chris, Pete, Harriet. I always go back to the same names. It's really weird, isn't it? Um, classical names. Yeah, very classical. Strong, strong names. Strong names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so that's that's it that is it um so that <laughs> that's a really great way to end the podcast i think just a long awkward silence and then yeah done. Uh, i really like um english awkwardness yeah um yeah so i think i think this is a good introduction for now what we're trying to achieve with the podcast probably it was just a lot of um you know a lot of rant with no purpose at all but the purpose that we uh, with the thing that we're trying to achieve here is to try to untangle um as many you know problems jargon different types of um uh you know things could call the same thing so for the next episode um uh, shall i say what we're going to be talking about in the next episode chris if you must you're gonna love it so we're going to talk about the differences between service design, experience design, user experience, customer experience, all this experience nightmare that is um, now everyone talks about all these different things. And what do they actually mean? Well, we don't know, right? So I think um, for, ne for next time, we're just going to try to untangle that um very very complicated set of terminology um and see if we can give our audience a little bit of a light in the world of confusion of experience design do you like that you i know you like you love service design don't you yeah a little behind the scenes that'll be the third time we've re-recorded <laughs> that podcast <laughs> it was so boring as well so so hopefully this isn't as boring um yeah hopefully people enjoy it if you think it was either really good or really shit and sorry about my french is it how you say it in english sorry for my french or about my french um 
please just just give us some feedback. So do we have a Twitter handle now, Chris, that people can um, send? Uh, yep. So you can tweet your abuse at Design Untangled on Twitter, all one word. And as a new podcast, it's very helpful for us if you can leave reviews on iTunes as well, either good or bad. Just helps us kind of get out there and know what you guys want to see or hear even. So yeah, so any any feedback, whatever you want to say to us, please do. Um, it's better some feedback than nothing. Um, so please give us any feedback, any ideas of things that you want us to talk about. Even if we don't have the answers, which probably we won't, we'll try to find them. So we can bring people to talk to you about certain topics if you are interested in knowing more about things that we don't know about. So the idea of this podcast is to be helpful to, you know, to help you go through the um, sometimes painful process of growing within a, you know, design, within the design industry. So whatever we can help with, we're here to help with. Um, do you want to just talk about your mentorship program on Slack, Chris? For those that don't know, if you go to the uxreview.co.uk, we run a kind of UX mentorship thing, which is aimed to help people get their questions answered. We've got a couple of different mentors, myself and Carla and a few others as well. You can find that there along the top nav. Um, there's about 250 people there currently. Um, we try to sort of help people as a group. So if you've got any questions, you can pop those in there and we'll a mentor will aim to get back to you reasonably quickly. Great. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hope it wasn't that boring this time and hope we can actually launch the podca this podcast this time. We tried several times before, but hopefully this one is going to go live. Adios. Bye.